Welcome to Church History for Everyone, a podcast that brings to life the stories of the saints of generations gone by. From Athanasius to William Carey, and from Nero's persecutions to the Great Awakening, we provide a digestible and challenging look at the figures and events that have shaped church history and, in turn, changed the world. Now, here's your host, Christopher Hume. In our last episode, we looked at how men were being arrested and killed for questioning the Queen's authority in matters of worshiping Jesus Christ. And there was a growing group of Puritans and Separatists who were spreading their ideas throughout England and Scotland. And today we will consider William Bradford's story by looking at the beginning of his desire to leave the Church of England and worship Jesus Christ according to the Bible. And that story begins with William Bradford's love for the Word of God. Now, William Bradford's father died when Bradford was just 18 months old. And he was then sent to live with his grandfather, and his grandfather died when William Bradford was six years old. And then within that same year, William Bradford's mother died. So at the age of seven, William Bradford had already lost the three most important and significant people in his life, his father, his mother, and his grandfather. And judging by what was to happen in the decades ahead, William Bradford was to be, in a way, like his savior, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And so young Bradford is sent to live with his uncles and he was to learn the family business and follow in the steps of the Bradfords who had gone before him. And were it not for the mysterious and sovereign working of God, Bradford would have stayed in Osterfield his whole life. For there was no need nor desire among the Bradfords to travel to London even, let alone Holland or America. His path seemed to be set before him. He was set to acquire a sizable amount of land as the heir to his father's considerable estate. However, something was about to radically change the course of this young boy's life. Bradford was to come into possession of several books that were going to seriously alter his worldview and his future. Now, among the books that most shaped Bradford's thinking for the rest of our life, we can identify two that were the most significant And the first of those books was John Fox's Book of Martyrs. Now, John Fox begins his book with recounting the persecutions of the apostles and early Christians in the first century. And then he traces the suffering of the saints for 15 centuries, culminating in really the focus of Fox's book, the suffering of Christians in England and Scotland during the century of Bradford's birth. And so in these accounts that Bradford is reading as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old, he's reading of those men and women who died because they refused to conform to the worship that was required from the throne. And Bradford begins to see something other than the sedate conformity to the religious norm that he's known for his childhood. He saw men and women with a passion and zeal for Christ which empowered them to forsake all things, land, limb, and life for the sake of the Savior. His eyes were beginning to be opened to a world beyond Osterfield, to a world beyond the conformist path that his family had tread. But the book that had the greatest impact on William Bradford was no other than the Geneva Bible. Now, it's true that before the Geneva Bible, 
the truth of God's word was available to people. You think, for example, of the Lollards who traveled the countryside preaching the doctrines of Christ. Or you think of Tyndale's New Testament, which was released in the first part of the 15th, of the 16th century, excuse me. And there were English Bibles before the Geneva Bible, but most of those were pulpit Bibles. They were limited to the clergy, most of whom were indifferent to true spirituality. The people, the masses, didn't have a Bible for themselves. The Geneva Bible, however, was about to change that and was about to drastically change England and Scotland. This was the first English Bible that truly reached the people. It was the first English Bible printed with easy-to-read text rather than the older blackface Gothic text that was in all previous Bibles. This was the first Bible to contain study notes. It was the first study Bible, and the notes were Calvinistic, and they expounded the principles of the Reformation. This was the first Bible to contain chapter demarcation and verse numbers within the chapters that facilitated saints storing up the Word of God in their heart and memorizing Scripture. But perhaps most importantly, this was the first English Bible that was affordable. Nearly every family could purchase a Geneva Bible. Now, we don't know exactly how William Bradford first came across a copy of the Geneva Bible, but it seems clear that he had access to it from a young age. Cotton Mather notes that Bradford was already a student of the Word by the age of 12. So perhaps Bradford found this Bible at a nearby school. There were some schools in the area. There were some libraries containing English and Latin books, and it's likely that Bradford came upon the Geneva Bible, Fox's Book of Martyrs, and other books at a location such as this. So in reading Fox's Book of Martyrs, Bradford became familiar with the saints who were killed because of their love for Christ. But in reading the Geneva Bible, Bradford became familiar with the Christ who was killed because of his love for the saints. Now, one thing we often take for granted today is the ubiquity of Bibles in America. But in Bradford's day, this was just becoming a reality. For the first time ever in England, nearly every Christian could have a Bible. And think about that. Before the proliferation of the Geneva Bible, people could claim to be Christians and yet never have that claim tested by their relationship to the Word of God. But the arrival of the Geneva Bible brought with it a true test of faith to thousands who were claiming to be Christians. And many failed the test in Bradford's day, just as many fail that test today. But no longer could anyone claim ignorance of God's Word due to a lack of access to it. And no longer could conforming hypocritical churchmen cover their hypocrisy and indifference. At least they couldn't cover it to those who now had the word of God in their possession and were taught to judge all things aright. The word of God had arrived and those who didn't love it were betraying their lack of love for the God of the word. Now when the Geneva Bible fell into the hands of the people in England and Scotland, like William Bradford, they finally read for themselves passages such as Psalm 119.97, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation continually. And Bradford would have looked to the margins of his Geneva Bible and read the study note, perhaps written by John Calvin or John Knox, which said, He showeth that we cannot love God's word, except we exercise ourselves therein and practice it. They begin to see the difference between a man-made religion and a love for Christ, which is demonstrated in practicing the word of God. And that difference was as clear as night and day to Bradford. The religion of his uncles was a mere shell. 
They may have spoke of Christ occasionally, or perhaps frequently, but they did not even know his commandments, let alone keep them. They may have went to church. In fact, they went religiously, and young William Bradford went with them, but they did not love God's word. And Bradford would have begun to realize this as he's sitting in these mandated church services. But yet when he goes home and reads the Bible and reads Fox's book of martyrs, he sees a disconnect between the true living religion that he sees in the scripture and in Fox's account and in the staid, lifeless religion of the mandated state-sanctioned church services that he was forced to attend. Another note he would have read in his Geneva Bible was as follows. It is a sure sign of our adoption when we love the law of God. It's a sign that you're a Christian when you love God's word and his law. And Bradford did just that. He not only read the Bible, he loved it. He meditated upon it and he began to apply it to his life. You know, I picture a young William Bradford, an 11, 12 year old boy reading the Bible, sitting among his sheep under an oak tree. And he opens to Psalm 1, and he reads those words which he would make his own. Blessed is the man that doth not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. For he shall be like a tree planted by streams of water that will bring forth her fruits in due season, whose leaf shall not fade, So whatsoever he shall do, shall prosper. And God did prosper William Bradford in many ways, but it wasn't without pain, hardships, and loss, as we will see as we continue to look at his life. What seems clear is this, that William Bradford was converted at a young age and began to delight in the word of God as all believers do. And in our next episode, we will look at how he started to skip the church services that he was required to go to with his uncles. And we will see what came from that. But it was his love for the word of God that set him on that unalterable course towards persecution, conflict, and hardships, but also towards blessing, edification, and encouragement. And within a few short years, Bradford would be counted among those seditious men who obey Christ rather than the crown. And when that time came, his friends and family would attempt to dissuade Bradford from his conviction to Christ and the Bible as the sole authority. They would argue that to follow the Bible and the likes of separatists like Barrow and Greenwood who had died for their beliefs would cost Bradford his inheritance and so many other comforts in this life. And when William Bradford responded to them, it demonstrates a man who from a young age was rooted and grounded in the scripture, a man whose soul had been planted by the stream of God's word. And he responded like this to those who tried to encourage him to stop taking the word of God so seriously and following Christ above all else. He said this, Were I like to endanger my life or consume my estate by any ungodly courses, your counsels to me were very seasonable. But you know that I have been diligent and provident in my calling and not only desirous to augment what I have, but also to enjoy it in your company, to part from which will be as great a cross as can befall me. Nevertheless, to keep a good conscience and walk in such a way as God has prescribed in his word is a thing which I must prefer before you all and above life itself. Wherefore, since it is for a good cause that I am like to suffer the disasters which you lay before me, 
You have no cause to be either angry with me or sorry for me. Yea, I am not only willing to part with everything that is dear to me in this world for this cause, but I am also thankful that God has given me a heart to do so and will accept me so to suffer for him. Like the psalmist who said, Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever. And the notes in the Geneva Study Bible who commenting on that verse said, I esteemed no worldly things, but made thy word mine inheritance. The word of God, delivered to him in the form of the Geneva Bible, had become more precious to Bradford than all the wealth and comforts the world could afford. The word of God had become Bradford's inheritance. And we don't know the exact sequence of events that took place in Bradford's early teenage years as he began to read the Bible and leave the Church of England. But if Bradford's first encounter with the truth came through reading, his young mind filled with the inspired accounts of the apostles in the book of Acts, and also the heroic stands of saints like Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley in Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's no wonder then that if he was still attending the required Church of England services, that he soon grew tired of the lifeless state-sanctioned church services that he was forced to go to. And it's no wonder that he soon began to absent himself from those services in favor of preaching that glorified Christ, laid man's pride in the dust, and expounded the word of God. That inclination to wander from Queen Elizabeth's approved services was the beginning of the end for the conformist William Bradford. He was about to become part of that grand story he was reading about. He was about to become one of those dangerous men who willingly absent themselves from Queen Elizabeth's and soon King James' state-sanctioned services, and he wasn't going to be alone. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Church History for Everyone. For information about following Jesus, the King of History, visit reformedhope.com and be sure to join us for our next episode. Until then... Go live out your story as a servant of the risen Savior.